Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new week and a fresh episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. With me today is Dr. Sima Boni, and she's a holistic doctor who is passionate about changing the way medicine is practiced. She emphasizes prevention and wellness. She is focused on helping her patients achieve optimum physical and mental wellness by helping them change their habits and form new healthy ones through her work with them. To help her achieve her goal, she founded the Anti-Aging and Longevity Center of Philadelphia. Hello, Dr. Bonnie. How are you doing? Hi. It's so nice to meet you. Likewise. I'm, I'm excited to have you here. And, uh, you know, any new episode where we can help our audience learn how they be in a better place, be healthy, be well. I'm always thrilled about that. Awesome. That's what it's all about, right? I, absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, because this is called Back to Basics, I always uh, like to start with the background of where you're from, where did your journey start, and what were your dreams as a, as a young girl? I love that question. So I grew up in South Jersey, not too far from where I live currently in Philadelphia. I always wanted to be a physician. I ended up doing a six-year med program. So I was in medical school at the age of 20 at Jefferson in Philadelphia. And, you know, I grew up to backtrack a little bit, you know, my parents were the first people who went to Whole Foods, all of this, like, it's interesting how things that you see early on kind of stick with you, even if you kind of lose your way in the middle. So, you know, my family, like every, every night in the evening, like we would go to the Bally's gym because there was a Bally's at that time. And as a family would work out. So eating right, yoga on the weekends exercising, all of those things, even though at the time they might've been like annoying or whatever, like it's stuff when you do it, you see that it's just kind of, it's there in your brain somewhere. So then you go to medical school and nobody talks in medical school about any of the things that I talked about, about eating right and exercising and sleeping, you know, optimally and taking vitamins and all of the things I grew up doing. And so you kind of forget about that, or at least I did, you know, you're in medicine and I chose to do something, you know, I chose to do emergency medicine because honestly, I can still, it's been many years. It's been 21 years since I graduated medical school, but I can still remember my enthusiasm when, when people would ask me what I wanted to do. And I would say, I want to save lives like with this, you know, and my whole, um, essay that I wrote to different residency programs about that were, was all about, you know, different people come in and there's a puzzle that you put together and there's a pieces missing and you're putting it to, you know, it's just, it's really fun and interesting and really quite intellectual, right? At least theoretically, right? And then you go into emergency medicine and it was really exciting to do it in New York City. I did it in Manhattan at uh, NYU Bellevue. And uh, I think I was, you know, really well-trained there. Um, and it was really fun. It was really, there's something about city ER and there's something about New York City ER that I think it just, I don't know that it gets any cooler, but I'm, I'm a little I, bit biased. I have to say with you, I think anything in New York City, it's so cool, fun. no matter what it is. <laughs> I'm 100% with you. I still, uh, still just absolutely love that city and like, like 
take my kids there often. So they love it too, you know? But anyway, so, you know, that was, you know, it was interesting. I stayed in New York for another four years as an attending um, in like level one trauma centers and fun, interesting, very cortisol inducing. Was I sleeping? Well, I don't know. I mean, it was the city that never sleeps. And I was also somebody who very much espoused that, you know, you'll sleep when you die. Uh, What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, like tough guy, kind of, you know, a little bit ER kind of mentality, I think is like that. But I think a lot of us are like that, right? You just get through it, you just keep doing, you just power, 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 achieving. And then you fast forward. I had my first kid in 2009. At that point, we'd already moved back to Philadelphia. And I was slowly like, after the second kid, really not feeling so great. Some of it was the whole circadian rhythm disruption, like these shifts where you're working days, nights, and there's like no real, you know, kind of routine to them is, is, is definitely really hard in the body. Anybody who thinks that they can do that and get away with, you know, not getting inflamed is, is just, you know, doesn't realize that they, that they are. Fast forward a few more years, um, I started doing night shifts in the ER because why I had young children and uh, one day the babysitter didn't show up and it caused problems for my husband at you know, work, meaning he had, you know, it was stressful how he gets and does his procedure there with a the patient who was waiting. So I said, okay, I'll just work nights. I get a regular schedule. Over time, I realized that when I did work nights, I went to bed at 8 a.m. I woke up at 11. So that was like three hours of sleep, which is right. We make an appropriate look. Well, how do you function like that? The answer is you don't. So I slowly stopped because what I did do all through residency and all through my life until that point was I worked out. I actually ate pretty darn clean. You know, I may not have slept as much as I should have, but I think those other things I was, I was doing, I was doing a lot of yoga in New York. I loved the Bikram. But what happened when I started doing those night shifts is I started not sleeping and that stopped everything. I stopped exercising. How do you do that when you're exhausted? Which is why when my patients come in and they're like, yeah, I just, I just don't feel like I can exercise. The answer is not, you can do this. You know, they can do this. But the question that I have to answer is what's keeping them from being able to do that? Because these are people who want to, who did in the past, what's happening, right? So exercising, I started eating foods that kept me awake, like foods that were more carb, you know, lots of caffeine, and I just remember feeling really stressed, you know, and then fast forward a year or two later, actually it's about a year later, and I got diagnosed with this, these pulmonary emboli, blood clots in your lungs for no reason. You know, they did a whole workup. I had no medical reason to have them. I have no family history. I was completely, utterly healthy to that point, but I felt horrible. Like I didn't feel the way I should have. I had all kinds of weird hormonal stuff going on that like it was all related, I think, to all that extra cortisol you know, related to not sleeping, related to having, you know, maybe a stressful career. Um, But I think more than anything, it was just like, I think the fact that I stopped sleeping properly just screwed up everything else in my life. And that's funny when I started studying how you keep people healthy, because I wanted to know, really, I started with how do I keep myself healthy? Because the answer I heard from the hematologist is, well, if it happens again, you get put on a blood thinner for life. And I said, well, if it happens again, I could stroke out like it could have this time. And I don't want that. And they're like, well, there's nothing we can do, right? Because even though we have amazing things we can do in medicine, there's certain things where we hit a wall in medicine. And I was already realizing that in the ER setting. You know, people come there so often for chronic conditions, you know, and you sit down and you talk to them and some people are interested and some people are like, just give me a medication, like doctor, why are you asking me all these questions about my fiber intake and, you know, how much water I'm drinking and what I'm eating? You know, and I'm like, because that's what's causing the symptom that's making you come in. 
for the third time in two weeks. Like, don't you want to get at that? You know, and a lot of people do and some people don't, but for the people who do want to get to that, that's really what my medicine is for. And it came about because I wanted to do the things that keep myself healthy. And then I completely stumbled into the fact that there is a field of medicine out there that keeps your patient's health optimized so you don't get sick. Because until then, it was really kind of a foreign concept, you know? It's like, what do you mean you, you, you see the doctor to keep you healthy? No, no, no. You go to the doctor because you're really sick, you know? And it's like, no, no, no. You don't go to somebody to get help when things are really, really bad. Because in general, that doesn't work for your car or your HVAC. And it doesn't work for the human body either, that you get really inflamed and sick and then you get help. So it was really a journey that happened, you know, because I went through it that I realized I would love to prevent other people from going through that. And that there's a lot of people out there who are so excited about optimizing their health and playing offense, not defense. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think you, I love how you laid it out because obviously you were very passionate from the get-go when you you got that, uh, let's say, first layer where your parents instilled what those passions and you say, and then you forget about it for some time and you come back. And that's yeah. something I discussed with in the podcast of people like some somewhere within yourself, you have things that you were passionate about that people don't unearth it easily. Some people. And then also in your, you know, your journey as a mom and all the changes of who you were as a professional before and after. I think that's something that a lot of us, we don't stop and think about that. And we say, well, I never had this problem. I have a friend of mine. She's a little bit younger than me, but she's getting getting to 40. And she say, well, but you, you don't understand. I never had this. And I say, my friend, you're reaching 40. Right. <laughs> so things might change now. Start to change. It's absolutely, that, that is actually like the biggest group of, of clients that I have are people in their 40s. And I think that's the, because I'm in that demographic. Mm-hmm. So for a while, I've thought, this is interesting. When you think about an anti-aging practice, you're almost not sure who's going to come to you, right? And the fact that it's people who are exactly like in my age group, things start to change that kind of don't make sense. The hormones start to flux. Metabolism starts to slow down. And I think you realize that if you're not, if you're not in your best shape at 40, like what are you waiting for? 50, 60, 70 to be in the best shape? You know, and I think that you have the maturity level at that point to be like, well, I better get this in order. Just like my financial health is in order. Like my houses are getting paid off. My kids are in the right schools. I better focus on how I keep this body in in really good shape so I can do all the things that I want to do in my life. No, I love your, I mean, I put my marketing uh, hat on and I think you have really very compelling offering because if you think about it, we don't want to go to doctors because when something's wrong, you're afraid of going to the doctor. So Mm -hmm. also that creates a very bad dynamic, I think. Yeah. That that then you relate going to the doctor to being afraid, to not wanting to find out something bad. But if you change that dynamic, which is what, for what I understand, what your practice does, if you work with your doctor into optimizing your health, Right. And then you see it as something that you're contributing. You're kind of co-creator to your healthy state. Right. And then you probably are more proactive and you go to the doctor happier because you yes. want to see the changes of, of whatever you put in place together. People are excited often to come in. They're like, let's see what my labs show now. I feel so much better. Let's see what they show. And so it's, it's absolutely, you're absolutely right. It's a partnership. I and mean, it's a completely different approach to looking at medicine. 
that is, uh, no, that is uh, fantastic. And so when you made, because this must have taken some courage on your end, as you say, when I first did this, I wasn't too sure who's going to show up. Right. Tell me a little bit about what you were going through into that. Were you ever like regret the change or were you ever, what were your fears? Because one of the things I am big on is, is to try to instill the, the seed of anything is possible in my audience. And so I know there are many out there that have great ideas and, and they look at things a little different and they're afraid to let go what they know <laughs> because right. they don't know if it's going to pan out. So I'm, right. I'm curious to know about that moment when you say, I'm going to create my own practice and I'm going to go for something that's not that conventional. Right, right. I mean, it's it was a little scary. I agree because it's it's like... I think a lot of people really understand this medicine, but I'll be honest, a lot of physicians are like, wait, what do you do? That's the response you get. And you're like, I keep people healthy. And they're like, what? You know, because <laughs> it's not like an American board of medical specialties uh, uh, recognized uh, specialty functional medicine or preventative medicine, but the Cleveland Clinic is a center for functional medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think people, institutions, so many of them have integrative centers realize it's important to really find the root cause of, of symptoms. But yeah, it, it was, it was kind of still sort of, I wouldn't say is, but it was scary for a little while until you start realizing how much better people feel. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's such validation. Like I can't tell you getting an email or, or uh, a text or, or a patient coming in saying, oh my God, Dr. Bonnie, I, I feel, I feel like a new person. And it's amazing the things you can do with just looking to see if people have the right micronutrients, maybe balancing their hormones, looking at gut health. It's different for every patient because they're completely different. But I think it's really validating when people feel better. There's like nothing, nothing cooler than having people feel good. I, I got to a point in the ER where I realized that like when you're coding people, yes, it's great. You're saving their life. But like, I want to, I want people who, who are in the prime of their life to be feeling, you know, waking up every morning, feeling amazing, like being able to do all the things they want. I almost feel like when you're coding that patient in the ER, yes, you saved a life, but it's not good. The Uh prognosis is not a good situation for them. You know, it's just not where my passion is anymore. It's completely switched. No, that's great. And and you're right. I mean, the goal should be that you prevent people from getting to the ER and that's a fantastic mission and uh, for anybody and people should be committed to that. And there's many things that I'm sure that you can tweak in your own health and the impact. I mean, I, I give you an example. I suffer from high blood pressure, for, uh-huh. for instance. Yeah. And, you know, after I made a lot of tweaks, also my doctor said, you know, but a lot of things are hereditary too. Mm-hmm. So you get the good, you, are, you inherit the good, but you inherit the bad. Right. So we'll fix, you know, you exercise. So all the, you know, he tried to avoid meditation, but during the pandemic, I was taking two pills because of the pandemic that I wasn't eating out because yeah. I, I cook with very little salt. And so you don't realize that every time you have a business dinner or something, yeah. even if there's little salt, it's never as if you are cooking yourself. Yeah. There's always more salt than what you, and I'm, I'm quieter. I'm not traveling. I had to take out medication just because of the pandemic put me in a different Isn't pace. that great? So it's just amazing. tweaking your tweaking your nutrition essentially. Yeah, but even then, because I normally don't put, I don't add salt to anything. But then you say, but if you eat at a restaurant maybe three times a week, and yeah. now in pandemic times you're not eating in the restaurant at all because we are, 
that's already a huge impact. And that, you know, although I knew the impact, that really made it very clear to me. Like even the things when you think, oh, well, but I don't eat this bad or I, I ate healthy. Also right. the components in your environment, right. uh, things you're consumed have a huge impact on your own well-being. And you don't even realize it. If the pandemic hadn't happened, you wouldn't have had Because you do eat healthy, it sounds yeah. like. Even yeah. when you're out, you're eating healthy, but you don't realize what other people are putting in your food. Yeah, the exercise, you know, I was I'm like, what else? And that was my next question. There's many times where you feel that you cannot tweak that much, that many things anymore. Like you mm-hmm. feel, okay, I have this in check. This in. I'm sure that a lot of people come to you. Mm-hmm. That. And yet I'm sure you find plenty of things that you can tweak. Can I tell you, I have some of the, like, the most interesting patients, like the, the, the way, how intentional they are about how they're eating, how they're exercising. It's almost like they've maxed out on what they can do on their own. And then they need somebody to be like, okay, well, what's going on in my biochemistry? Because that you can't find on, on the internet. You know, exactly. You can't exactly. match up. And there's all this information on the internet too, without knowing what if it applies to you makes it kind of, I think it's not optimal. Yes, yeah, you know no. some things, but you don't know as much as you could. You don't know what you should be following and what you shouldn't based on what your specific situation is. And that's where I come in. But the blood pressure story, that's really interesting. So both of my parents have high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. So I thought to myself, see, you can have the hereditary components, but look at me. I think I'd had my third baby and my blood pressure was like 100 over 70 pretty much you know, the whole time. And I said, see, so I don't get like I didn't get the high blood pressure they did. And I thought, well, you know, I keep myself really healthy. That's why, right? I think a year later, all uh-huh. of a sudden was having these weird chest pains, went to my doctor. She said, your blood pressure is like 50% higher than what it should. You got to go to the ER. And I'm like, I'm not going to the ER, you know, and uh, started tracking it. And lo and behold, same thing, high blood pressure. I'm a big time runner. You know, I, I eat like hardly any salt and anything. And, you know, eat really clean, but the hereditary, right? You can't, you've got some genetic components. Um, but then even then, you know, trying to tweak them with certain supplements, for example, like CoQ10, magglycinate, citronox. I use these things to kind of help, you know, maximize my body's ability to keep the blood pressure regulated. So. Yeah. Oh, so you're, so I don't feel that bad. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I'm like, I, like people are like, hey, but you look, so, I am really healthy, but you know, the genetics. And I think one of the other things that, you know, we really focus on in my practice is my biggest issue is the cortisol issue. Like I'm really, for all the reasons I think that, you know, I'm kind of a badass in a lot of ways, it takes its toll, right? Ah, You're like, yes. like I'll be up, like I'll email people at three, four in the five in the morning about, you know, things we got to do this. We got to look into this. We should research this. We should, you know, and sometimes like, you know, my office assistant or my coworkers like wake up to like, they're like, I woke up with 20 emails from you, you know? Yeah, and, uh, I, was, I was in labor and I was sending emails and I hear the joke still to this day. And I'm like, but it's like 15 hours in labor and the first three or four hours were very manageable. And I'm there, you know, like in the right. room. And right. uh, so I totally can relate. But I love the fact that you share this with us. And thank you because, you know, it takes a doctor, you know, it takes the recognition to say I'm struggling with this too. I think it's important also to recognize when, you know, you can do everything natural, everything, but science, and you're a doctor, so you right. would appreciate it. Science and medicine is there for a reason to, right. to help us where we have tried to solve it every other possible way. 
Right. And then because, you know, my, my husband is Dutch and they're very natural approach with everything. My mother-in-law is like, don't take the medicine, you know, do this. Sometimes you have to, but you have to maximize everything you're doing. And then sometimes, you know, risk benefit, right? Sometimes you, it is better to. Absolutely. And that's what my doctors say. You live a stressful life. I don't want you unprotected, you know, around the world. Heart attack. Right. Yes. yes. And so it takes some courage because I'm also very anti-medicine, but, uh, but yeah, feeling good. I agree with you. The, the goal is when you feel good. And I know those two years that I was struggling with this, I never felt so bad in my entire life. And I don't wish it upon anybody to have your kids in the car and not know if you're going to make it because I will feel so bad that I was afraid that I wouldn't make it to where I was going. Yeah. And that's very scary. So, so I'm so happy that, yeah. Those are red flags too. When people come in, they're like, I just, I really don't feel good every day. I feel just not good. You know, that's like, okay, there's inflammation. We've got to figure out where it is exactly and what to do about it. But little red flags, right? Even feeling fatigued all the time, you know? Exactly. Also, exactly. a don't ignore the red flags, guys, if you're there, because they're real. So, right. so what would you say are we struggling the most as a society these days? Is that the lack of sleep, would you say? Is the, in general, what do you feel that people are struggling with the most? I mean, I think, honestly, I think all this, this adrenal fatigue issues, this cortisol elevation, which is, goes hand in hand with sleep. When your cortisol is off, your fight or flight, you know, hormones are, the cortisol is up. You really can't sleep well. So we measure people's like cortisol is always when we're looking at sleep. And if you're not, you know, properly like stress reduction techniques, I just think with the COVID, it's like just completely turned the world upside down. I think people were already kind of stressed. I felt like social media, the internet, like everything at your fingertips, not really letting I saw some study a long time ago. Sorry, I have a lot of thoughts in my head. I saw some study a long time ago that when the, the times when your mind is able to make decisions about things, it's when you're doing nothing. It was really interesting. It was, I think it was in the New York Times, actually. And it was like those times when you're driving and you're not talking to anybody or reading anything, that's when your brain is often processing like complex things. And then you fast forward and you see people like in the New York City subway and everybody's on their cell phone, you know? Or any second you have, you're looking at CNN, or at least I used to do this for years or, you know, and, and you're just, you're just never letting your body or your mind just relax, but that takes its toll too, because your brain doesn't shut down when it's sleeping either. So you kind of have to artificially put it in a state, whether you're doing meditation or yoga or gratitude exercises or deep breathing, like Andrew Weil does. I love that stuff. Those things really are not incorporated as part of like patients, like wellness plans. And I struggle with that the most because even though it takes like three minutes to do what Andrew Weil wants us to do every day, it seems like you just don't have the time, which is not true. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Like and the science else, is there to absolutely. prove all of this. This is the amazing thing. I had a past guest uh, on the show and he, you know, specializes on, uh, he's also a neuroscientist and does research on how meditation improves, you know, your brain size. I mean, he gave, shares some incredible facts. Yep. And then, so I, I joke around and say, you're the guy that you have to send the non-believers to, you know, all the people right. that say no meditation, no, you know, I don't have time for that. Once you hear the statistics and the facts, yeah. the benefits of yoga, of all those things, it, it's quite impressive. Right. Right. It's kind of mind blowing. And I think that's the one thing that's often the toughest to do for people who are like really type A and go, go, go. 
They don't want to stop. I've actually had patients say, I don't want my brain to stop working. It's like, well, it's a machine and it needs its rest, you know. So. It will be uh, it will be on good terms or on bad terms, right? As I have a, one of my doctors say that you can stop on good terms or you can stop on bad terms. Right. You'll be stopped some other way. Totally true. Exactly. So, so you know, as we approach the end of the interview, I always like to give my guests the opportunity to share anything exciting going on, anything you're looking forward, any bucket list projects. Uh, you have an open microphone to share with us anything cool that you're looking forward to. Well, what we're doing actually at my practice is we're realizing over through the pandemic and even maybe prior to that, but especially during the pandemic, that people really are focused on wellness, medical wellness, that they want to, you know, live their best lives. They they don't want something like COVID or whatever to come and get them. They want to be, you know, have their best defenses up so that they do better. And all the studies, you know, with COVID, with micronutrient deficiencies, even hormone levels, all kind obesity, blood sugar, all of those things have really shown us that, you know, how you, how, how healthy you are keeps basically determines your outcome, even when exposed to certain things. We have COVID now, hopefully that'll be a thing of the past, you know, someday in, in the near future, but there's going to be something else potentially. And there's always other dangers, right? There's always, you know, cancers and other autoimmune diseases, all of which are, you know, really been spiking up like over the last several years, decades. So we know that there's, you know, a lot that we can do with inflammation. So what we're doing with the practice is we're trying to develop a, a model of really primary care that's focused on wellness. It's easy to give people Z-packs. I mean, I don't like to do that, but if that's something that somebody needs for a sinus infection, that's the easy part, right? That I think the real hard, challenging part is to keep, you know, figure out like a, a program for optimizing health you know, and whether that includes like hormones and gut health, all of these things that people are out there researching in the internet, Googling, can't find any help with. Those are the things that we want, you know, as basic parts of like, you know, a practice that's focused on wellness first, you know, and medications as needed secondary. But if you keep your immune system as strong as you, as you can, you won't need, you know, antibiotics and things like that, all of which wreak havoc in your gut. So a practice that's a little bit more holistic in terms of not jumping to medications when you come in, but really trying to keep you optimally well. So that's what we're working on now and um, developing like a model, like a different kind of disrupting what people think of as primary care. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Right? And, 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 you know, because I always like to ask questions for that will help moms. I have two, I have a six-year-old and a 10-year-old. Okay. And so I'm curious as a mom yourself, what are you instilling in your own kids in terms of wellness and wellness prevention? Uh, all these practices, is there anything in particular that you would advise for anybody out there that has uh, young people in their lives as to put as a, as a, you know, stepping stone to ensure that they live their healthier life? Well, I can really relate because I have a 12, 10 and six-year-old. So oh boy. Ages, right? <laughs> no mother, um, we have uh, high blood pressure. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. And I have three at yeah. three different schools. Oh, so one went God. today, another's going tomorrow and another one's going the week after. So it's wow. interesting. I think that if we do a lot of these things that keep us, you know, feeling good and optimally healthy, and we're modeling that behavior. That's one of the best things that we can do for our kids. I just had a conversation with a mom earlier today, and you know, she's all about taking care of her her child and her husband, but really the self care is really missing. 
And uh, if you model yourself that, hey, you know what? I know I know there's dishes or I know it's busy and I, I know we have things to do, but I'm going to take 35, 40 minutes and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go exercise. And you do that every day. That's something that I do. And there's a lot of things that I need to do better in my life. I feel like I'm a work in progress. I'm trying to do, you know, as, as much right as I can, but you know, that's kind of the point of life is to be better. Right. But my kids at least know that exercise is not optional. That's just something you do. That's part of your life. Right. Also, as far as food, trying to, you know, make sure that they're eating the healthiest foods, these kids menus and the kid things kids eat. I find it just mind blowing, you know, they must be lacking so many micronutrients and vitamins. And, you know, at such a critical age when so many things are developing, it's really just, I mean, it's like the standard American diet here, but I think in other countries, like at least I know in India, I, I didn't grow up there, but I can tell from my relatives that the kids eat what the parents eat, which are like lentils and vegetables. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, you have your own chicken fingers, you know, yeah, know. And your know. cheese quesadilla, you know, or, <laughs> or even worse than that, there's all kinds of your burger, your hot dog, which yeah. a study just came out last week that every hot dog you eat lowers your lifespan by, I think, 26 minutes. I think it was, uh, oh boy. yeah, it was like a Michigan-based study, which uh, is terrible. Like those are the kinds of foods kids eat all the time. So to try to get them from the beginning, like eating things like, you know, lots of vegetables and getting used to fruits, it's a lot of work. Some kids are difficult for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to keep kind of Re, re like reinstilling that in them. I think eating well, exercise, you know, making sure they're getting lots of good sleep, just like we should be as well. All of the things that we should be doing for ourselves. And honestly, I think school should be making kids, you know, do mindfulness techniques. Yeah, I a few years ago had like this class where the teacher says, I consider this a, a mindful classroom. And I was like, this is great. This is so great. She was so calm and you know, and, uh, you know, unfortunately we don't do that, but I think that we'd feel a lot calmer of a society and less trigger happy in lots of different ways. If we had people who just stopped and took a mindful breath, but that has to start early. I mean, yes, yes, you can do it later, but I think it's best just like learning a foreign language when you're younger. Absolutely. I have a good friend. She's also been on the show. She's developing programs, mindfulness programs for kids. And I'm of the same opinion. This is part of the tools that you can give to the kids and instill in them at a young age that will serve them better forever. Right. And we are not doing enough of that. It's a total gift. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Well, one last question, as, I, as always, uh, I'd like to ask what makes my guest Tick besides everything you share and what you do on your job in the moments where you're really lost in a way where you have to reconnect to your essence and to who you are. What do you do or where do you go? What's your special thing? Um, what makes me tick? I think just the thought of honestly, as far as professionally, um, like bringing wellness to the masses, I'm actually really super crazy excited about that, to be honest with you. I think that it is so needed. It is not out there. And uh, I really, I really drive myself every day to, you know, create that sort of situation for patients and um, just really keeps me going. But otherwise, awesome. things like gratitude exercises, I find I have to, you know, kind of make myself do those things. I should be journaling. I don't, you know, but just doing things that, you know, you always remember that you're very lucky to be grateful that you've been given so much, you know, and to just, um, yeah, just be grateful for, for what you have and, and, all, and, and, and the healthy body so that you can continue to achieve things because you can't do anything without 
Absolutely. Well, you have such a big vision and such a big purpose that I'm not surprised that that's enough to keep you ticking in all aspects of your life. So uh, I really wish you the best of luck. I think what you're doing is incredible. It's uh, we need more doctors like you in the world that uh, that really can get us to to a healthier, happier place. So I thank you so much for for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Take care. You too. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you, and until the next time.